Hello, this is uh, Deacon Nathan Allen. Welcome back to Latin One. This week, we are going to be looking at Unit 3 of A Primer of Ecclesiastical Latin by John F. Collins. Last time, if you recall, by way of uh, review, we uh, introduced you to the second declension of nouns as it relates to the masculine gender. Remember, Latin is a gendered language. Uh, unlike modern English, but certainly old English used to have uh, uh, gen uh, grammatical gender, and German still does, as do all the uh, uh, Romance languages or daughter languages of Latin have grammatical gender. Um, this week, we're going to look at the other half, if you will, of the second declension of nouns. And this is the uh, group of nouns that are neuter in grammatical gender, but fall within the second declension. Now, how can you tell that they're second declension? Remember, we always look at the genitive singular. In our dictionary form, it's going to have a nominative singular followed by the genitive singular. And the genitive singular will always tell you which declension you're in. Right? And so, you know, it's second declension because the genitive singular ends with the letter I, long I, and I with a macron over it. But how you can tell that they are the neuter half, if you will, of the second declension is that the nominative singular ends in um, in U-M, rather than us, uh, um, U-S, which was the masculine most common masculine ending. Remember, we also had the ER uh, nouns in uh, the uh, nominative singular uh, for, uh, for uh, masculine nouns in the second declension. But here with the neuter, we have uh, them all in the nominative singular ending in um. And except for the nominative and accusative endings, the nominative uh, endings, both singular and plural, and the accusative ending in the plural, this is the same as the endings in the uh, second declension masculine. All right. Neuter nouns. And this is an important rule to keep in mind. This is something that you know, there are so many things in Latin, as in any language, where there are exceptions to this. And you can say that almost all first declension nouns are going to be feminine, but there are some exceptions and, and so forth. Um, in uh, This is one thing that is going to be rock solid. You can take it to the bank. It will never, ever change. Neuter nouns in what? Ever declension. It doesn't matter if they are in the second declension, third declension, fourth declension, fifth declension, if there are any. Um, they, they will always, 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 two things are going to apply. First of all, the nominative and the accusative will always be identical. And the others was in that case, right? With these first declension feminine nouns that ended in the letter A, the in the nominative, the accusative was AM ending. Uh, and in the plural, they would have ended in AE and the uh, and the accusative. 
accusative ending was as. And similarly with a second declension masculine nouns, uh, either they ended in us, us, or they ended in er, but the accusative was um, um, and in the plural, you know, they were usually uh, a, a long i, uh, and in the accusative it was os. Well, in the neuter, it's always going to be the same. The, the, uh, the nominative and the accusative will always be identical. That never changes across all declensions. If the noun is neuter, it will never, ever change. Now, how do you tell which is the subject and which is the object then of the sentence? Well, obviously by context, just as we in English, I mean, we don't have any difference, especially in our nouns between the subjective case and the objective case, but we can tell by, you know, who's doing what <laughs> to what uh, in, in, the, in the sentence. Um, we do have a distinction, of course, in our pronouns, a uh, difference between he and him, you know, uh, for example, uh, or she and her. Um, but, uh, uh, but in our nouns, we don't make a distinction. And so this is really no different here. You can tell uh, by the context of the sentence, whether it's nominative or accusative. But that never changes across all declensions. The nominative and the accusative will be identical for neuter nouns in Latin. Another thing that never, ever changes, neuter nouns in whatever declension in the plural and, and consequently also in the accusative will always in the plural nominative uh, uh, accusative and and uh, consequently also in the accusative will always end in a the letter a always 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 across every declension so those are two hard and fast rules you can write them down you can keep them firmly in your head they will not change okay there's so many so few things like that in Latin um, that it's nice to have some hard and fast rules like that. Okay, so let's take a look at what our endings are uh, for the second declension neuter. We've already talked about how uh, the uh, the nominative is um um, and the which and then when we get to the plural, because plurals always will uh, for a nominative and accusative will always end in a. It's an a, the letter a. And the accusative is identical. So um, let's take our example of our uh, if our first neuter noun uh, noun for you verbum verbum verbi. You can see that it's spelled with a an i with a macron over it in the genitive, and so you know it's second declension, and you know it's neuter because it's verbum. But also make sure you can see that n after the uh, after uh, both forms of the noun. Keep that in mind, memorize it, because obviously that's going to be important uh, to know that verbum is, is a neuter uh, noun. This means word, as you might guess. We get, obviously, our English word verb uh, from this. Uh, um, you know, uh, I mean, we have any number of, of derivatives, you know, verbal, verbose, if somebody is talking too much, uh, and so forth, that uh those all come from the same word verbum. All right. So let's decline verbum as our sample. So in the singular, we have verbum, verbi, verbo, verbum, 
verbo. Okay? And in the plural, because it's neuter, it's verba, verborum, verbis, verba, verbis. All right? So um, then we move on. We'll talk about what last time we introduced you to the present indicative active uh, of the verb sum, to be. So now we're going to talk about, the, that was the present tense that we did last time. Now we're going to do the imperfect tense. Latin has several different past tenses. Um, the imperfect tense is, has a sense, it's a past tense, but it has a sense of continuing action. Um, so uh, we might, I mean, we can translate it as, as uh, you know, I, I was, you were, that kind of thing. But it also has the sense of I was being, you know, because it's got this continuous action to it. Um, sometimes that's going to make for very clumsy English if you're translating, but, uh, it's a little different than like, well, we get to it, uh, not in this chapter, but later we'll get to another one of the past tenses. It's, you can see we've got an imperfect tense. We've also got a perfect tense and perfect tense is like the thing is done. Boom. It's over. Okay. That's very different from the sense that there was a kind of a continuous action to it. All right. Well, how do we keep in mind? We've got again three persons, first, second, and third person. And we've got singular and plural. So uh, this is how we conjugate uh, the imperfect tense of the verb sum esse fui huturus. Right? In the singular, we have eram, eras, erat. Do you notice something here? Even though we're in a different tense, Notice that S and that T, the S in the second person singular and the T in the third person singular. That's a very common clue uh, which person you're in, in all verbs across all tenses. It's very common, okay? Uh, not universal, but it's very common. Similarly, that M is a common indicator for first person, okay? Just, you know, keep that in the back of your mind because that may help you, uh, especially if we have a complicated, you know, thing where you can't tell which is the, you know, you're reading a sentence and you're not sure what the subject is. Well, if you can see that it's a singular verb, then you can guess that, well, I'm going to look for the singular noun that would be the one that would be the subject, all right? So we got eram, eras, erat. I was, you were, he, she, or it was. And then the plural, we have um, eramus, eratis, erant. Um, we were, you, plural, were, and they were. Now, how we get that, the imperfect of sum is compounded from the base era. Okay. With the personal endings, we talked about the M, the S, the T, mus, tis, and nt. Also keep in mind that NT is usually a dead giveaway that you're in third person plural. Okay. Um, before the M, the T, and the NT, the long A of the base shortens to a, a short A. All right. So, uh, as I mentioned kind of in passing, literally translated, because it's got that sense of continuous 
lightness to it. Uh, it would literally be more like I was being, you were being, but you know, that doesn't make for a very good English. So, um, I was, you were is fine. All right. And then we have the future tense. So this is the, the future indicative active of the verb sum esse hui futurus, to be or to exist. Here again, the singular, we have ero, eris, erit. Notice again, we've got that S and that T. And that personal ending O is also in a lot of verbs, a giveaway of uh, of first person, just like the M is, a first person singular, okay? Ero, eris, erit. Erimus, eritis, erunt. All right. So the future of sum, this was so I will be, you will be, he, she, or it will be, we will be, you will be, they will be. The future uh, tense of sum is compounded from the base eri. Instead of, remember, we had the, the imperfect was, was era, eri, plus the personal endings o, s, t, mus, tis, nt. Um, the I, again, of the base is absorbed into the ending of, of O in the first person singular and is replaced, you'll note, in the third person plural by und. You just have to memorize it, okay? But, uh, but basically, you've got here the base and then how to, how to calculate it, how to, how to, uh, how to conjugate it. Um, in English... It's, we don't do this so much anymore, certainly not in our colloquial language. Maybe if you're being, if you're being um, uh, uh, very formal, especially like uh, legal documents and so forth, you might make this distinction. We would make a distinction between shall and will uh, in the sense that shall if you were, if it was about a third person or a second person, it was a command: "Thou shalt not." Okay. Um, and in the first person, "will" was, uh, uh, you know, "I will it." I, you know, it was, it was much more, much stronger. Um, whereas in the, uh, um, if you flip that around, and so you said, "He will," or "I shall," it meant. Just a simple future uh, tense. We don't do that so much anymore in spoken modern English. It's pretty much died out. We pretty much all use will instead of shall. Um, but uh, uh, you can translate either way as you're going through the whatever makes sense, most sense in English, okay, when you're translating into English. But keep that in mind that, that we do have a distinction between kind of a command sort of statement in English, that is not something that we have in Latin. Okay. Um, now we move on to the dative of the possessor. <laughs> um, dative, remember, this, this case, we can often put the uh, preposition two or four in front of it. And we were accustomed to thinking of the dative as kind of the indirect object. I gave the ball to him. Right. Um, that uh, um, is the sense in which we're talking about 
this here, okay? Except we're using it with the verb sum. So we're saying, here's our example of this example of the sense liber, that's a book. Uh, we're gonna learn that word, I think. Liber est puero. The book, literally, the book is to or for the boy. Um, but it has a possessive uh, connotation. The boy has a book. Um, agri erant Petro. The fields, or the countryside, were, was, uh, were to Peter. So Peter owned the fields. Okay, that's a different use of the dative than we're accustomed to, because we're accustomed to seeing thing of the dative, as I said, as as an indirect object. But here it can have a possessive character if it's used in this way. That's something to keep in mind. All right. Um, then uh, and and there's and to pay attention to the note here uh, that in contrast the genitive of possession which is what we usually think of as the possessive case the genitive of possession where it occurs almost always is no more than an ancillary idea to the sentence that is it's just a, it's it, it's almost like an adjective modifying the the uh, the noun. So if, if uh, Petrus est minister domini, uh, Peter is the Lord's minister. Domini with a genitive of possession is really just kind of almost an adjective modifying minister. Uh, whereas here, um, uh, the very point of the sentence is that uh, um, the, uh, the, the book is for the, the boy has a book or Peter owns the fields. And, uh, and so the date of a possessor has, is used. All right. So we don't quite do that in English, but, but there you have it. This isn't English. <laughs> All right. Now on to our vocabulary. That was just a pretty simple, short grammar, but a lot of stuff to keep in mind. All right. So we're going to introduce some more words here. Some of these are going to be in, uh, in the, uh, uh, declensions you already know, first and second now you know masculine and neuter. So here we go. Regina Regine is feminine, obviously, because it means queen. Um, and uh, we, we use this, uh, this uh, in English, some derivatives. I mean, you know, the city in Saskatchewan, Regina, is named for Queen Victoria. Um uh, or if you, you know in law, you know in 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 American law, a uh, criminal case, the sovereign is always it's the sovereign versus the person being charged with the crime, and so uh, in uh, Minnesota, for example, a case will be state versus Smith, you know, um, or if it's a federal case, it will be United States versus. Uh, Tompkins, you know, or, or in California, some states do it differently. California, it'll be people versus Johnson. Uh, or in uh, a place like uh, Pennsylvania, it'll be Commonwealth versus, you know, Fredrickson. Yep. Going to run out of names here. Uh, but in England, where the sovereign is Queen Elizabeth II, a criminal case is always Regina versus you know, Jones. 
something like that. Um, and so uh, that word comes up uh, in, in legal language in, in England. All right. And the queen will sign her name Elizabeth R. And the R is short for Regina. Yes. Uh, or Regina in Regina in, in, uh, in ecclesiastical and, and actually in, in classical Latin as well. All right. So moving on. Chorus Cori means choir. And obviously we get our word chorus from it, like the men's chorus or, you know, whatever. Um, notice again, C-H, it's pronounced like a K and that's a dead giveaway. This is a word that comes from Greek into Latin. Okay. Hymnus hymni, hymn. Okay. You can guess that pretty easily. Notice again, you've got a Y in there, which is again, a dead giveaway that this is a word coming from Greek. All right. Then we get our word for book, liber libri. This is one of those ER um, uh, second declension masculine nouns. And so the E drops off just as ager became ager agri, liber libri. Uh, it means book. Um, we get obviously words like library, um, you know, uh, uh, from 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 that uh, uh, from the same word here, um, and then we get vir viri. This means man or husband, so it's it's sex specific. Okay, this isn't man as in like the human race or a human being. This is man specifically a male human being. Vir. Viri. We get words uh, in English like virile uh, from it, and ult ultimately, actually through a different Latin word that's related, we get virtue um, from it uh, because it's kind of a strength of character, but we'll, we'll learn that word later. Um, incidentally, this is a really old word that goes back in uh, our... Um, uh, Indo-European family of languages way, way back. And there's an English word, where, that is related to this. A word that really only occurs in a couple of instances in modern English and always as part of a compound. We don't, we, we haven't uh, maintained it as a separate word meaning man. Where do we find it? Where do we find it? Um, uh, in compounds like, oh, werewolf. A werewolf is a wolf man. Okay. And we find it in the word widower. A widower is a widow where? A man who has been widowed. Okay. And here's going to be one that will surprise you. Did you know that the word world is a compound word originally. It is where, ald, where, man, ald, related to eld, eldest, age. The where ald is the age of men, which in Norse and uh, you know Northern Teutonic mythology is the middle period between the age of the gods and the age of chaos under the giants. So 
the world is all that is the case, as Wittgenstein says, uh, but it is the world, it's the age of men. Anyway, so uh, I think I, I, language fascinates me. But anyway, the uh, um, so Viri is a male human being. All right. Celum Celi. Celum Celi is neuter. In the singular. Just when you thought Latin was going to get easy. No, you'd never, you didn't think that. Ha. Um, but just when you thought Latin was going to get easy, here we've got a word that is neuter in the singular, but it is masculine in the plural. There you go. Um, which really just underscores the point that I've been making the last couple of weeks here, that grammatical gender, unless you're actually talking about something or someone who has a physical sex, um, grammatical gender is purely a grammatical feature. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty much arbitrary. Okay. So, celum celi in the, uh, singular, sky or heaven, uh, is neuter. So you would decline it. Celum, celi, celo, celum, celo. But in the plural, it's going to be new. It's going to be uh, um, not no longer neuter, but it's going to be masculine. So it's going to be uh, celi, celorum, celis, celos, celis. Okay. Um, just a little added wrinkle. Where do we get words from? Uh, uh, you know. Uh, related words from uh, from from this, obviously celestial, but also sealing <laughs> indirectly from the French ciel uh, that comes from 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 the same Latin word. But yeah, so um, that's some of uh, derivative from uh, from uh, from Chelum. All right, canticum cantici is a song or a canticle, and this is also neuter. Donum doni, it's a gift. We get, uh, with with canticum, right, we get canticle, um, chant, all those are, are derivatives. Um, and with donum doni, if you get like a donation or a donor, um, uh, those are der English derivative words from this Latin word. All right. Oh, now we get to one of my absolute favorite words, evangelium evangelii. This means the good news or the gospel, and it comes from the Greek. So it's another one of those Greek uh, words that comes into Latin. I don't believe this word, though, has a uh, a classical Latin meaning I may be wrong on that but I think it's a pretty much an exclusively Christian word and means the gospel but here's the interesting thing about this word it comes from the Greek word euangelion remember we learned angelos angelus uh, an angel a messenger right and euangelium euangelion was the good message, 
Okay. In Greek, the good news. But it never really had the sense of good news like, oh, how's your dad doing? I heard he was ill. Oh, he's doing much better, thanks. Oh, great. That's good news. You know, that's not the use that the word usually had. In fact, the word is a military word. And if you were to pin down a first century, you know, Greek and ask them what euangelion, I mean, the first idea that would occur to them was the military word. It's news from the battlefront. News from the battlefront that the that is that the battle is going well, you know, and so the the commanders in the field send back runners to the generals at headquarters to inform them what's happening and the constant messages running back and forth. And in fact, it got to be so specifically referring to news from the battlefront that euangelion came to mean the tip (laughs) that the runner could expect if he brought good news. So if you actually look at one of like the, 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 uh, um, uh, the most, uh, one of the most famous, uh, uh Greek, uh, ancient Greek, uh, dictionaries, Liddell and Scott, um, the, and they give, you know, give the, de- the definition and then you have, you know, like sample sentences. The very first definition is going to be the tip for bringing good news from the battlefront. And the example it gives is from Homer where a guy says, you know, where's my euangelion? Like he's got his hand out waiting for his tip. Um, well, this is a remarkable thing because if the gospel is news from the battlefront and it's the news that we, this is, this is the, the commander in the field sending back the message to the general saying, we've broken the enemy's line. The enemy is scattered and we are, you know, pursuing and mopping up. The battle's won. There's just some stuff at the end that we've got to wrap up. Well, that's what the gospel is about. You know, so often these words get fossilized in us. And think about the English word gospel. We don't, you know, it's been in unchanged in English for over a thousand years. We'd have to break it apart just like we did with, with world to find out its element meaning, elemental meanings. And, and, you know, um, it's just become fossilized and comfortable. Gospel, good spell. Good. Okay. Great. We got that. But spell, closest thing we would get to anything close to that in a related language would be the Yiddish word spiel. You know, if somebody's giving you a spiel, they're telling you a story. Um, so it's the good story. It's the good news. But again, it's got that sense of good news from the battlefront. We're so accustomed to thinking of the church as if we're kind of under assault and, you know, and then, and so we hear that passage from Matthew where our Lord says to St. Peter, you are Peter and on this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're thinking, oh yes, Fortress Catholicus, you know, we're on top of this hill being shelled by the enemy, you know, the orcs around Helm's Deep are swarming, but we'll hold, we'll hold firm, you know. But that's not the meaning of that passage at all, because it's the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And gates are not offensive structures, they're defensive structures. 
Jesus doesn't say, upon this rock I will build my church, and the artillery and the trebuchets and the siege engines of hell will not prevail against it. No, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are the ones surrounding the fortress of hell. We are the ones battering down its gates. We are the ones storming its walls. Hell has lost. That's the whole point of the of the gospel. That's the whole point of the euangelion, the evangelium, the news from the battlefront. The enemy is scattered. His line is broken. We are pursuing. Oh, sure, there's going to be some mopping up to do down the road. But this is like, you know, uh, news coming back to uh, uh, Washington or to London uh, the day after D-Day. We've landed. We've taken the beachhead. We're starting to establish. We're starting to roll through France and, and on toward Germany in, in World War II. Yeah, sure, there's going to be some hard fighting down the road. Uh, there's going to be a counteroffensive at the Battle of the Bulge. But once the Allies had made the landing at Normandy and had secured it, there was ultimately no doubt of what the final result of World War II would be. And that is where we are. That's the whole point of this beautiful word, evangelium, the news from the battlefront. We've won. We've already won the war. There is no doubt what the ultimate result is going to be. Sure, we're going to have to beat down uh, fortresses of the, and, and pockets of resistance in our own souls and in the world. But the ultimate result is not in doubt. Evangelium, we have won. All right. It's a beautiful word. Um, ooh, I get all chilled when I think about it. Okay. So that's a neuter noun, evangelium evangelii. And then here's another one, festum festi. Uh, you know, our word feast obviously comes from that. That's a feast or a feast day. Very easy. Um, another one, gaudium gaudii. Uh, this means joy. Um, you know, we have a, <laughs> we have, uh, an English word related to it, gaudy, which, uh, has a different meaning because it's kind of changed over the centuries. But I don't know if you've ever read any, um, uh, of the Lord Peter Whimsy mysteries by Dorothy Sayers. If you haven't, you should. They're really good. Um, anyway, uh, there's something called a gaudy night is one of the novels and the gaudy, is a kind of a, a alumni dinner, you know, night at, at an Oxford college. And so it's that sense of joy. Okay. Um, and I suppose from that, our notion of gaudy meaning like kind of glitzy and showy, uh, comes from the fact that you dress up for something like that. Um, so anyway, but, but gaudium, uh, is, uh, is, uh, uh gaudium gaudii is joy. Um, there's a verb that is related to it. And so uh, the third Sunday, this Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday. So this word uh, rolls right into this particular week. Uh, you know, Gaudete is the imperative, the command form of the verb that is related to Gaudium. So rejoice. Okay. Um Mysterium, mysterii. Notice again that Y, which is a dead giveaway that this word comes from Greek. Um, and uh, it means mystery, but it 
really a religious mystery. Um, in the Greek uh, church, um, the sacraments are called the mysteries. Okay. So it has a, in Christian use, it has a very specific um, meaning. Odium, odii, means hatred. And we use this word in English, odium, odious. And then by way of French, we get it from annoy. Um, uh, but uh, hatred, if something is odious, it's just, oof, I really hate it. Okay. Um, peccatum peccati is sin. Peccatum, um, in English, you know, like if you, if you do, uh, just, if it's something that's just a little failing, it's called a peccadillo. Um, you know, uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, that, that's an English word that, that derives from peccatum. Or we use, you know, impeccable. If something is impeccable, you're not going to find any fault in it, any sin in it, if you will. Okay. Um, preceptum, precepti is a, is a, a command. Yes. So we get our English word precept from it, but it also has a sense of, of lesson as well. So, um, in the mass, uh, the introduction to the, our father, the priest says, uh, um, uh, preceptum salutari, uh, oh, now of course, the moment I have to think about it, I, I forget it. Uh, but then anyway, we uses the word preceptum. So taught, uh, is how we usually translate taught by our savior's command. Um, all right. Um, Premium premii um, is a reward. We get our English word premium from it. So, uh, and think of it not in the sense of like an adjective, like premium of, um, you know, like premium gasoline or something like that. But, but really like your, uh, uh, um, uh, if you have a, have a, a premium that you get from using your credit card, for example, where you get a certain kind of, you know, points or, you know, cash back or whatever, that's, that's what that, how we get that word. It means, it means a, a, a reward. Renium regni, kingdom. Notice how renium is related to Regina, a queen, right? Um, so, uh, anyway, that's, uh, uh, um, the, they're all part of the same basic root word and idea. Um, but renium renyi, and in English, you know, we would have things like rain, like with a G, um, uh, like a, the, 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 the queen's rain. Um, we would also use like, like, um, uh, regnal, you know, uh, um, as an adjective, if, uh, like I had just recently was watching the crown and when Queen Elizabeth comes to the throne, the, uh, the question is what will be your regnal name? And she wants to go with her own name, Elizabeth, rather than using Alexandra or, or Mary or other names. Um, and so that, that's, that's a word that's related to this. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Sabatum, sabati, sabati, sabatum, sabati. Sorry, I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, is Sabbath comes from the Hebrew Shabbat, um, you know, the Sabbath. And this is obviously very much a, a Christian word. Um, pagan Romans wouldn't have known anything about the Sabbath day. Um, 
And uh, uh, sacrificium sacrificii is a sacrifice that, you know, it's obviously the same word in English. Um, the uh, It's actually a compound word. And we'll learn this later. We'll learn the verb to do or to make, uh, uh, facere, and we're, and, and we'll learn the word, the, the, uh, adjective, um, sacra, sacrus, sacrum. And so a sacrifice is to make holy or to, uh, and so the object is set aside to be, to be, uh, and, and consecrated to be made holy. Um, Then seculum seculi. This means age or world. Okay. And it's world in the sense of kind of the duration of time. It's not necessarily like world like the planet Earth. Okay. That's a different word that would, would be used. So it's really the sense of the age, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, um, One, you know, you can put, there are different ways of saying forever and ever. <laughs> In secula. Okay, look at uh, seculum, seculi, it's, it's neuter. So, in secula, um, uh, the plural of seculum, right, would be secula. But in secula, what are we saying with in? Well, in is obviously a preposition, and we're going to learn it a little bit later, but I can give you kind of a hint at it. In means in or on, but when it, it takes the accusative, it has a sense of direction, so it's more into or onto. Um, and so in secula, that secula is the accusative Plural. Remember the in neuter nouns, the accusative and the nominative are identical, and all uh, plural nominatives and accusatives in neuter nouns end in the letter a. So in secula. So into the ages. Okay, into the ages, seculorum of the ages. So into the ages of the ages literally means, and, and in English we would say forever and ever. Okay. Testamentum testamenti. This is a obviously testament or a covenant. It can also mean a will. So somebody who's making their last will and testament. Okay. Um, universum universi. This is the universe, obviously. Um, and then we already covered verbum verbi. Here's a good one for you. And I hope that if you're doing this in the evening, you can open up a bottle of wine. Uh, and say, uh, in um, vino veritas, there's truth in wine. Um, vinum vini. And this is a, this is neuter again. So, so vinum, vini, vino, vinum, vino. Um, all right. And then we come to, uh, you know, and we, we use this in, uh, uh, in English, you know, obviously, uh, vine is going to be related. 
uh, viniculture, the growing of grape, uh, grape vines, um, vintage, uh, you know, all those words that are related to grapes and to wine, um, uh, uh, it's surprising, but vinyl (laughs) actually comes from this word. Okay. Well, um, vitium vitii is a fault or a sin or a vice. Okay, so from vitium we get our words vice, vicious, uh, and so forth. Okay. And then here, and then our final two vocabulary words are two uh, adverbs. Heek, which means here or in this place, and ibi, which means there or in that place. But it can also mean then, sort of using place as uh, um, a marker for uh, a different time and place. Okay. Um, on our vocabulary notes, uh, we've I think we've gone through all of those uh, in noting the. Um, uh, the Greek words and so forth. And we talked about the, uh, with Chelum, uh, Cheli, how that is, uh, is, uh, nominative or is, is neuter in the, in the singular and is masculine in the plural. It makes no change in meaning. Although obviously, uh, a, a, there's subtle shades of difference why you would use the plural and why you would use the singular. Um, it really doesn't make a difference. So, for example, Angelus Celi or Angelus Celorum, Angel of Heaven, or Angel of the Heavens, but, you know, I mean, it, it means the same thing. All right. Well, then we move on. Uh, that's the end of this uh, particular unit. Um, so if we can look at the uh, your homework for this week will be uh, the exercises founded uh, founding on uh, that we find on, on page uh, 25 and 26. Again, uh, I urge you to write out on uh, um, three by five cards your uh, vocabulary words in all their uh, cases. Um, uh, for the nouns, uh, because that's just a great way to, you know, cement them into your brain, um, and, and have them down. And it's actually one of the drills. So, um, yeah, if you do that, you, that can count as having done your homework and then, you know, every now and then review a few of them and check yourself. Okay. Um, when we come to the translation of things, um, uh, Try to put it into idiomatic English if you can. Um, translating literally from the Latin may be helpful and, uh, you know, it's a good way to see how the language is put together. Um, but also keep in mind that, uh, the literal reading of the words may actually obscure the meaning. Like, for example, in secula seculorum, unto the ages of the ages is kind of poetic, but it would leave a blank stare on a person's face if they heard it, whereas forever and ever might not. Okay? And, well, very good. That is Unit 3, and uh, next week we will uh, move on to talking about adjectives. Um 
before I, uh, I let you go here, uh, I wanted to, um, you know, uh, Make sure that you, uh, if you have any questions, uh, email me. Um, and uh, again, I hope to do another uh, short podcast uh, answering any questions and going over any uh, tricky bits uh, or um, uh, explaining any interesting bits in the uh, in the homework assignment uh, that will drop. Uh, um, later in this week. So try to get me any questions, uh, by close of business on Wednesday so that I can, I can address them in, in the upcoming podcast. All right. Well, uh, God bless you. I hope that you're having a, a good and holy advent as you prepare, uh, your hearts and your homes, uh, to welcome the newborn King at Christmas tide. God bless you.